I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Okay, so what, let's do gay versus straight, oh, though. Oh, jeez, I was still in Jewhead. Oh, my God. No, listen, I'm always in Jewhead, but we... We're... In Jew brain. Oh, my God. <laughs> Hey everyone, welcome back to That's a Gay-Ass Podcast, the podcast that asks, whose fault is it that you're gay? It's me, Eric Williams, and this week we have Elliot Glazer, my idol. I mean, he is everything I aspire to be. A writer, performer, hot, uh, and just seeing a gay Jew like him do the damn thing is so gorgeous. Is it okay that I call him hot to his face? I'll let you decide at the beginning of this episode because I don't know. I'm just I'm having a lot of really attractive people on this podcast lately, and I think we have to normalize telling people they're hot. So if you want to tell me I'm hot, let her rip, babe. On this episode, we talk about so many fun things. We talk about Elliot's devastating take on a popular piece of musical theater. Uh, we do a new segment I like to call Homo versus Het. But before we get into it, I want to tell you something exciting, which is that for the first time in my life, speaking of Broadway musicals, I have like a gaggle of gays that I hang out with. I, I ever since I moved to LA, I like we had these friends that we knew were here, but they've introduced us to new gays. And last weekend, I just like went to a gay club with a group. I went on a hike with a bunch of guys. It was I listen. I loved living in New York, and I have many gays there who I'm truly obsessed with but i've never seen so many gay people in my life and i was talking to a friend about it and it feels like gay study abroad like i'm currently in college in west hollywood and instead of going to class where i'm learning about oh i don't know geography what do they study in college anymore i don't know instead of studying that i'm learning about poppers and lance bass's newest hot spot Although, to be fair, I have not done poppers once since I've been here. It's never been my thing. I also want to give a a shout out to one of our listeners who photoshopped Jesus with a bob haircut. Thank you, Zach Zofer, for really listening to the episode. Uh, The Nick Lehman episode was really one of my favorites. And um, he made that come to life in such a beautiful way. 
So why don't we get into it with Elliot Glazer, you know him from so many shows, a uh, writer of New Girl, you saw him on Broad City, and he is on That's a Gay Ass Podcast. Please uh, subscribe to the Patreon if you would like, it really makes a difference to support the podcast. It is patreon.com slash gayasspodcast for bonus episodes, and next week's bonus is actually a full episode with one of my favorite comedians, so uh, you can take a look out for that. And uh, follow us on Instagram at Gay Ass Podcast. Now look out, because here she blows. Holy cow, Elliot Glazer. I cannot believe that you're on That's a Gay Ass Podcast. I, you know that this has been a dream of mine for a while. And I am so, to be with such an incredible, attractive, successful, funny gay jew i mean everything that it check you check off all my boxes and thank you so much for coming on oh that's so nice <laughs> thank you it really helps when i during the rest of the day when i'm like not don't feel like that truly no listen you are that and representation in the media matters and to see <laughs> an attractive jew that is attracted to men as well uh it's huge you know like the picture oh, of like God. a little girl that's that looks like kamala that's like look i could be president one day you are that for <laughs> <Yeah>. me <laughs> wow it's so nice thank you you're so welcome i actually i was just um perusing through your social media and speaking of being attractive i just want to kind of start off start off the bat with really praising a picture that you had posted on instagram with your boyfriend and i i i just think that you're not only in a gorgeous home in this photo but your hand is slightly tucked into his waistband and (laughs) i think that it's those subtle touches that really put you (laughs) apart from the rest was that an intentional an intentional decision no i i don't even know yeah no it wasn't i was like when i posted it i was like I didn't even, it's weird. Cause like nobody forces you to like post anything, you know, you post your own content, it's totally subjective. And somehow I was like, Oh, I didn't even realize that, but okay. Yeah. You just gave me a vision that I truly w- did not want to tell anyone, but because I feel so safe with you, I'm going to tell you this. I posted a story on Instagram and I just like, I wasn't thinking no one was forcing me to, to post anything. And I was doing a dumb video with Matt and I posted it, probably 30 minutes went by, and my friend told me that out of, in the bottom of the frame, my hand was down my pants. Oh my God, <laughs> you're like Al Bundy. <laughs> I mean, and I wasn't like, and I'm being very honest here, I wasn't doing anything, yeah, anything of anything, but it, sure. you know, I, and, I, and again, I wasn't even touching anything. It was just like, I think my hand was no. on my thigh. Right, but that's, I mean, that is a bizarre, that is a bizarre part of the human condition, which is that like, we as men like to like put our hands around our genitals, like just to rest it there. Like, what is that? What is it? And also, why do I still do it? Because no, I'm saying I do. T- I do it too. And I'm like, what am I doing? Like, what? What am I doing? Why is my hand around my genital? Like, it makes no sense. <laughs> well, the worst is when you see people in public do it that don't realize they're doing it, and then I wonder, am I doing that? <laughs> I don't think. I mean, I. I don't. I hope not. I. I just. It's such a bizarre thing that I feel like as a kid, I remember um, eventually, you know, not eventually, but occasionally someone would be like, hey, like my parents were like, get your hand out of your face. What are you doing? You know, like, it's just like a bizarre thing. That, do I don't, I feel like women don't like put their hands on their vaginas just like uh, while l- lounging, you while know, watching I don't Breaking know. Bad, are they cupping there? I mean, I don't. I'm curious to find out if anybody listening to this does and you are a vagina owner. I'm curious to know yeah. what. You just rest your hand on your vagina. Because sh- I'm sure it generates warmth 
like ours do. I I, I don't know. Maybe it's yeah. maybe it's like a survival mechanism for right. the breast of your like your shoulders feel cold. So that- see, I feel like it's like a Freudian childhood thing that we just that we just continue. That for some reason it's just like a safety, a feeling of safety that we just hold, like literally. I think. I mean, I, I again, I, I know nothing. So. I mean, it could be, yeah, it could be a psychological, like, life starts there, so we're just trying to dip back into the source. Yeah, yeah it could be. <laughs> well, speaking of growing up, I have to say that you have a show coming up that is Musique Iconique, the Britney Spears connection here. I have to say, like, she, for me, was growing up was, like, a huge, and obviously not sexual awakening, but, like, maybe seeing her in Oops, I Did It Again, like, harness her sexuality maybe gave me hope yeah. for mine do you have you always been a britney stan no that that's the point of the show is that like it's a new show it's a new live show that i'm doing um it's sort of a new iteration of a show i used to do called haunting renditions and this is a different more of a, a chat show it's a chat show with me doing live music as well but it's simpler it's more focused on like one thing a genre or a trend or some like weird phenomenon in music and i figured i'd start with something big and broad like like britney and and uh, you know, her recent emancipation, but I've never been a um, Britney stan. Mm-hmm. I've always just been like a casual fan, I guess you could say. And I've left the standum to others. And, and um, I have no, no ill will and just warm feelings toward her. I feel like she is uh, just, you know, America's punching bag, like the poster child for like America's um, insistence with being as misogynistic as possible until like yesterday, mm-hmm. you know, barely. It, it's just, it, she just, she just went through it on behalf of like everybody. And the documentary was so eye opening. And uh, I don't know, it's just, it, you know, she, she, she is obviously iconic in so many ways. But I think the funniest thing about everything, Brittany, is that the least iconic, I guess the least iconic thing about her is like, kind of her music like Mm -hmm. obviously her music is is indeed iconic but it almost feels like it's the least um consequential of everything that is about her like knowing you know knowing every lyric to like i want to go versus like womanizer Mm -hmm. is not that big of a thing i don't think that's like a big deal to most people outside of like britney stands you're right and then but my friend matt stapero who I, i interviewed for the show he's a huge Britney fan has been forever. He works at Buzzfeed. He's, he was on fanatic MTV fanatic when he was a kid, literally like it's, he's, he's, you know, all about it. And he really enlightens me. Uh, You'll see in the show, but we did an interview and he really enlightened me to like the layers of fandom that go into Britney and the idea, my idea that like her, like more recent music wasn't as um, necessarily as like culturally powerful as the early work, were completely wrong because her biggest charting songs were ones that I thought nobody really listened to. And here, and I stand corrected. Whoa, that is so interesting to me. Cause I, yeah, I think that the music, we do separate the music from her a lot. And especially with what people obsess over with the conservatorship, with all the family drama. I mean, the fact that Jamie Lynn Spears had an interview recently and then like Britney was then on social media blasting her for that. I want her legacy to be a comeback on her own terms because I'm one of those sad people who has never seen a Britney Spears concert live. And I think that she has a match. Apparently she's phenomenal. Yeah. And like, there's a reason why she is who she is, but I want her to come back and not do a Vegas residency, but like do like, if she could do, 
I don't know, like her own sort of tour on her own terms that was like very much her own thing. Can you imagine yeah. the power? No, I mean, it would be super, super powerful. And, you know, the like, I hate the idea of like her needing to have a quote unquote comeback because mm. it's not like, you know, I think what is so interesting about her is that there was this huge movement to free her and get her emancipated from the conservatorship. But when all is said and done, her content seems to me erratic and concerning. And, you know, I only have empathy for her and hope that she gets whatever therapy or medication or the right people in her life to like write the track because, you know, she's, it's, it's, so it's just, deeply tragic yeah and anyone in her position no matter what level of fame or whatever work it's going to have to deal with the ramifications of not having your own uh will like right to make decisions for yourself i just don't think i don't think there's a possibility i i really don't think there is a world in which being a child entertainer of some kind especially at like the behest of your parents there's no way that doesn't fuck you up royally oh my god yeah I, I just, you know, I can't say too much, but I, but I was writing on a show this past year that was a reboot of a Nickelodeon show. Mm-hmm. And just knowing about the past, about like the show in its past rather than what it is now, it's like there has been a huge move towards like normalizing um, safety, real safety precautions for kids on TV sets. Whereas not even 10 years ago, you know, if you were on a Nickelodeon show or you were Britney or you like, I look at those kids from modern family and I'm like, those poor fucking kids, the idea of being on a set and like them being tabloid fodder. And I didn't even think about that. What's so what, what do you think is the difference then versus now about how they are protecting kids on shows and what were they not doing before? I've just witnessed on the last show that I worked on crew and parents being Mm like-minded And they're just being a true, genuine concern for the safety of the kid actors, mm-hmm. for it, for them never to have to really like we went out of our way to for, to never to really um, attend to the sort of a, the sensitivities of a kid, a kid actor, because that environment is already unusual for a kid to be in. The laws, the the rules and laws around it are unusual. It's an unusual experience. So I think the more we were to treat that with gentility and making sure that it's normalized and it doesn't feel erratic or weird or there's any or extra pressure i think the better and yeah um it feels a lot better because apparently you know the the height of nickelodeon days was was kind of a nightmare for for kids I I watched, mean, did you watch that? there was that documentary about nickelodeon yes the orange years holy cow i mean that fucking documentary i it brought back so many memories but like also a lot of concerns for the kids and I want statistically speaking the kids that were in that era like obviously to grow up and be okay is less likely than others but I think about like like here's the question controversial take Jojo Siwa will she be okay as an adult what do you think I don't know if she's okay as a I I don't know she isn't isn't she like in her 20s I think she's like 19 now let me see because I can't tell if she is 10 or like 30. Well, I and think that's the, maybe her, her branding. Um, yeah. She is, oh, she's 18, 18 years old. Oh, wow. Okay. Will she be okay? I, I don't know. I mean, she's, I'm always so creeped out by like the parasocial relationship thing now. And 
demois and like the idea of like i don't know go- like gossip creeps me out mm-hmm. because at least like whatever it was 20 years ago it was hearsay and there wasn't really room for it to be i don't know i could be wrong but it didn't it wasn't room for it to be so unrelegated that you could say anything mm-hmm. whereas now it's like ugh, the, the, between that happening between that gossip being such a um wild west and the internet and grudges and whatever you in parasocial relationships and stalking it's all one big creepy it's all one big creepy thing where it's like i have i just want to assess, uh, assume that i know absolutely nothing about somebody who still purportedly you know colors their life to look a certain way on social media or in the press. And I'm like, no, like we don't know anything. Mm. We re- we don't know anything, un- uh, you know, unless it's somebody who is going out of their way to only be a content creator where they're mirroring their quote unquote life. Wait, that t- totally brings up to me. Like, did you read about the TikTok stars breakup? The um, Chris no. Wilson and Ian Paget. They are like, mm-hmm. honestly, like one of their, one of them is like a Broadway theater guy in New York that I, like, I, I have a bunch of mutual friends with. And he, moved to LA and his boyfriend who was much like a few bunch of years younger than him. They just started TikToking, quote unquote for fun. It grew into a crazy uh-huh. thing where they combined have like, you know, 10 million followers and they broke up and E news ran a headline that TikTok oh, wow. stars break up and it like made it made news. And they, uh-huh. the reason I bring it up is because they were really, I think making the content creation, trying to mirror their lives. And then when they broke up, there's all these like 13, 13 year olds that were like, love isn't real. This gives me, yeah, a- I, don't, yeah, I have to say, like, I don't understand. My thought is always that like nobody forces anybody to post anything. It's you you can't be forced to put your to to put, you know, subjective images on your Instagram or whatever you're using or TikTok and press post. Like no one forces your finger to that button. So there's always and this includes me as well, there's always a sense of knowing what you're doing. Mm-hmm. So the idea of pretending or 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 painting a picture of your relationship to be a certain way is so mind bending to me. Like I don't, I can't wrap my head around it. It's too much for me to actually like think about because it's such a performance. Even if it doesn't feel like it, it is at the end of the day, it is. Well, you know, RuPaul says for a reason, like uh, everyone's born naked. The rest is drag. I think about like weddings as a specific example. Mm -hmm. Weddings are theater. Your mm-hmm. wedding planner is a stage manager. The <laughs> people getting married are the, le- the the lead female and the lead male, or the lead male and the lead male, or the lead not whatever they are. Yeah. And I, when we were planning our wedding, I swear to God, we arrived to the venue and I was like, we have to do a sound check because I will not be a person that has a wedding and you, after all the work, you can't hear anything. And so yes. I became like a fucking character out of a a gay sitcom where i was like (laughs) i swear to god the dj who was handling the microphones was like actually i think like the the lapel will just pick everyone up and i was like i understand you're a lesbian and i want to trust you with my life and i do (laughs) with everything except for this lapel talk are you kidding me the lapel is not going to pick us up the lapel is not going to pick us up and so of course we tested it it didn't pick us up we all had handhelds and the rest is history oh wow but it's all Did it a performance. Go off that, it go off well though. It went Did off it without off. a hitch. I mean, the I don't think she listens to this, so I can say it. The literal only thing that was a problem with our wedding is our wedding planner was bad. She oh, no. and she and the thing is, we didn't have a quote unquote planner. She was like the month of coordinator, so like we did most of it, mm-hmm. and it was really supposed to pick up the slack the month of. 
and she wasn't really in touch. Our theory is that she doesn't like parents. And so she Mm. really did not make a good impression with either of our parents. And then the day of the wedding, I kept getting phone calls when things would go wrong because I think she, she liked me and didn't like the parents. And so I would get texts and calls like every hour trying to like enjoy the day which would and like i'm a very type a jew virgo like like i'm not gonna just relax when i find out the shuttle bus didn't pick up anyone to go to the wedding like i she was telling me all these things were happening and i was very pissed and and then and the actual wedding did go great and like and so she did what she had to do but yeah it it the sound check was worth it as well it was what the point is yeah but you're right. It is a performance. I mean, it's a performance for people who are especially not performers in the sense that it's like their, you know, bridal party, whatever wedding party photo is like the curtain call that they will have framed forever. Yes. And it, in a sense, it's like it can't I can't help but drudge up like de- feel, depressive feelings around it because it feels like a climax. It feels like huh. a peak in some way. And I, I guess it bums me out to think that like that is for so many people, I think like the biggest moment mm-hmm. and then and then it's mediocrity. And maybe I'm wrong. I'm, I could honestly be just projecting. No, it's, all, could... it's the pressure people put on it to be the best moment of their life. Or yeah. like, I always got the skeeves when people said that high school were the best years of their life or college oh, were the yes. best years of life. Are you kidding me? High school. I, I mean, I'm like. The what? What is high school? What? That bum. That's a that is a true bummer. Bum. That is and, a all, and honestly, if you peaked in high school, then you are leading 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 a sad life. Oh my god! I just saw. Well, I I took um I do a um big brother big sister. So I have a little protege, not protege, whatever. I, I mentor mm-hmm. the, him. He's ten, and I took him to see a play called Let's Talk About Jamie. Oh my god! I want to see it. How was it? Um, it was. It was a lot. It was a lot. Uh, It was a lot. Um, It was a lot. I'll put it this way. I'm a hard critic when it comes to theater. Mm -hmm. It's very hard for me to take in like the smugness of theater, the artifice of it. But obviously that doesn't mean I I hate musicals across the board. I I just love the ones that are either self-aware or like a Sondheim feels like a different, you know, different galaxy altogether. But this I thought was a show for children and I guess it's for everybody. And that's when I get a little confused because I'm like, is this kids Bob? Like I'm confused, but uh, that all being said, he, he, my little, my little brother was, was really into it. Um, and what was great was that, uh, you know, the show is very progressive. It's about a, a very gay, very flamboyant kid who just clearly all he wants to do is become a drag queen. And at the end of the show, no, it's not a spoiler, but like, one of the biggest like reads of the show's villain is that uh, this one student basically reads him, reads him for filth by saying like, this is it. You will peak in high school. I am about to leave and become a fucking doctor. And this is going to be your peak. And it's like that, that's the, that's the end of the the, the villain story. Mm. And it's like, okay, you know, that works. We don't see that anywhere else. And it was a, it was a great ending. That it just does work down. because listen, yeah. my high school bullies peaked in high school and I don't think they're doing too well today. And so that is no, the read I mean, of all reads. Yeah. A question that does come up for me though, is I love when people admit that they're hard critics. I think that's a beautiful self-awareness that a lot of people don't have. Is there a musical or anything that is beloved universally that Ellie Glazer can go on record saying he doesn't like? I I have nothing 
great, nothing grinds my gears more than the play Come From Away. <laughs> I have talked about this with so many people. I've talked about it on my podcast. You're making it worse a million times. It's The clip of the music is in our soundboard at this point. <laughs> And I am not afraid to talk about how this show. I'm an Islander. I'm I'm an Islander. I'm I, an I, Islander. I, 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 I hate I hate it. Every part of it is more in, uh, uh, obnoxious than the last. It's like <laughs> it's nine eleven like trauma porn musical that's like sparse, and everyone like everyone's like it's like knee slap. Like why am I seeing a show about like nine eleven? But then part of it is like. The Netherlands, like, who cares? I hate it so much. <laughs> First of all, I will speak from, to my experience. I'm now feeling deep shame and embarrassment that I ever said I liked that show. Because you're right, when you, when you put it that it's like 9 11 yeah. trauma porn, it's, and it's, I mean, when they first pitched that there was going to be a musical about 9 11, I was like, as the kids say in Pitch Perfect, Ak, excuse me. I was like, you're, there's no way this is happening. And then here's, let me give you my pitch as to what I did like about it. And let me also tell, let me tell you that almost everyone that I complained to about this show likes it. Okay. okay. So there's no, there's, I, I have no, there's no like resentment or, or, or judgment on anybody. I, plenty of people that I know have that have great taste like it. I just... I can't. Well, I, I think I think it. that this podcast really brings people together. So I'm going to find a way to really relate to you on this. What I will say is that the show itself was like the actual content was I it is is tedious. It keeps moving. You're like what what are the people saying? I wish I had subtitles in real life, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. What I did what made me say that I loved it is when I saw the show the performance ends, we're clapping, and then I hear people screaming from the balcony, and I look back, and there are people from the actual Canadian oh, place holding flags and, like, oh. streaming the flags, screaming and, like, crying because they were so proud of their hometown. And, uh, okay. and I was like, yeah. theater changes. Theater makes a difference. And I was like, this is important. And then that's when I walked up being like, Come From Away is one of the best shows I've ever seen. And now I'm face-to-face with one of my heroes telling me that it's garbage. And I agree. It's a fucking bad show and no one should watch it. No, I, I mean, listen, I get it. And I get the story is heartwarming. However, at the end of the day, it is a show that is like about layovers for the most <laughs> part. Like it's about an emergency layover. I thought going into the play that it was like they stayed in New these people on 9-11 were rerouted to Newfoundland and stayed for weeks in the village. And it's like, stay for fucking three days, you know? And like, it's and 75% of the show is about like this town in Newfoundland where we do this with with fish and we do we slap our knees. And I'm like, ew. I, I mean, uh, and, if, and if anybody wants to watch this, it is on Netflix. Come, they did film on, it. So it's like, on Apple TV. Oh, Apple TV. Thank you. Yeah. You can watch it on Apple TV. Um, I, you know... I think. Listen, there's there's that there's one. The reason that I found up found out about this show was because they performed a song from it on The View, and I was like, "What? What the fuck? Like the 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 I don't know what the name of the song was, but it starts with that like that 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 woman with that that voice, the small woman with the voice singing, um, American Airlines had the prettiest planes, <laughs> like." That gobble, that like, that mouthful, that chock full of like consonants in your mouth as the beginning of a song. And she's so like smug. American Airlines had the prettiest planes. I'm like, that's not. Well, and also when you, that sounds like a parody of a bad Broadway musical. Thank you. And that is, and that is why it's, it's very hard for me to sit with it because I just, the the smugness of me, when people play are on stage in musical theater, 
they have to emote extra. And musical theater actors already have a vibe that is so unique and unlike any other vibe that is just hard to describe unless you like know people in theater or you live in New York, Mm -hmm. whatever it is. And when they bring it to the stage, there's something about it that's like uncanny valley to me that just upsets me. I totally relate to this. I had a friend in town very recently who asked, because, you know, I was living in New York and just moved here. And they asked, what is the difference? Who, what, which actors are more annoying, New York or LA actors? And I was like, oh, I said, that's a really good question. And the answer that we came to, actually, my husband, he, he said this, which I agree with, is that both annoying but new york but la actors are much make it more subtle because the musical theater actors in new york and like i'm i'm very much was a musical theater person and and love musicals but like don't do them anymore but the while i do have a belovedness for them so obnoxious and extra and like the worst version of either is going to be worse in new york oh yeah because actors here in la like you know, they can like get by with being like moody or whatever. And, but they don't have that like Broadway actors and musical actors are doing like a drag version of being a person, you know, they're like, I'm a human being, but it's like, it's in a drag format that is not good. It, it's, it, it unsettles me. And when they're in a show, like come from away in particular, they're like, they're all smug and they're all, you know, it's like, ugh, it, it gives me the, it fucking you literally just the, did the, entire choreography of the show is a little it's shoulder all that moving a shimmy and then a, a foot st- so many like ca- so many cargo pants and foot stomps i was like what is this like what is this genre what is this music who cares Too about many chunky heels i get it I so get many it. well yeah. listen i because i know there's so much to talk about i need to get us to a very famous segment of this podcast where i'm going to ask you a very important question which is ellie glazer whose fault is it that you're gay who do we blame <laughs> um, I think you can blame um, Nell Carter, Ooh. the actress Nell Carter. When I was a kid, for whatever reason, I famously was famously, famously to my parents, was like genuinely only a fan of watching Sesame Street. And then as I got older, I was only into black sitcoms. Oh my God. I was like yes. Watching what's happening. I was watching Gimme a Break, which was not a black sitcom, but you know, with black leads, I guess. And I would watch Gimme a Break constantly, would sing the theme song constantly, and was just obsessed with Nell Carter. I got my dad to like learn the theme song. He'd play it on the piano. Like there's home videos of me singing the Gimme a Break theme song. No wonder. And you're gay. I, yeah, I think there's just like a, you know. It's not like I, I I I clued into it at that point per se, but man, I was just so into this like, you know, um, big big lady with that like fucking horn voice, that like trumpet voice, and she was just like she took no prisoners, but like in real life she was a Republican lesbian, what? like yes, a Republican and a lesbian, and was a coke fiend. What? And there's an urban legend that I've heard and and I think is very. Um, this, there's no way it's real, but there's an urban legend about her, her being so addicted to cocaine that she eventually like burned off her gums or burned off her the bridge of her nose. And then eventually, because she had nowhere else to, no other options, she started um, ingesting cocaine in her vagina. And the urban myth is that her clitoris came off. <laughs> Where are you hearing these urban myths? <laughs> I, I want to know what circles are spreading these tales. 
<laughs> I mean, I think I like probably fantasized half of it in my head. Like it's probably whoever told I you that like, was doing coke. I mean, definitely. Because in my head, I'm like, she, her clitoris burned off with cocaine. It's like what? But I think that's my brain. I think like part of it is just some sort of fantasy. But she was a Republican, a lesbian Republican who has a yes. gorgeous brassy belt. I mean. <laughs> You can't yeah. you you can't write a character like that. I was actually, of course, looking up Nell Carter and just seeing. I mean, from a a, a a lesbian Republican from Birmingham, Alabama. I mean, you yeah. can't. No, you can't do better. You can't do better. Um, was married twice. We love to see mm-hmm. it. The second marriage only lasted a year, but you know what? She was a big George W. Bush fan. Wow, died in Beverly yeah, Hills at the age of fifty four in two thousand three. Yeah. She was yeah, one she of was young. one of nine children. Wow. When her, when she was two years old, her father was electrocuted when he stepped on a live power line in full view of Nell. Elliot, Yikes. that's the cocaine origin story. Just trying to forget watching her Yikes. dad blast off. <laughs> I mean, I watched... I there's, there's so many of those sitcoms of that era, I think. There is... I, I don't know what it is. I find such like a gay comfort to it. Like, I watched Family Matters so much growing up. I don't know if it was like... Urkel's otherness that made me feel a connection. Like there's so many parts. And I famously always talk about Sister Act 2 with Whoopi Goldberg. Like oh, yeah. it speaks to you in such a real way. You have a thought. No, I just I when I think back now to Urkel, I'm like, it's so it's it's kind of amazing to think about how like his his the character of Urkel kind of transcended his race. Mm-hmm. And and I mean to I guess I never thought of I never thought much about like his race when I was a kid it was just kind of like in in a way I mean I guess that was a great part of the show was that it was just another family sitcom that was in that the lineup or whatever but Urkel was such a huge cultural moment and it, I, I don't think his race ever played much of a part in the way that it was framed mm-hmm. and maybe I'm missing like the down, the, the you know the the underside of that. Maybe it's less subversive than I thought it was, or who who knows. But I think back as that to Urkel as a kid, and I'm like, yeah, we all just thought he was a funny nerd, and that's pretty great. Well, I think it also goes back to like how so much of hatred and whatever in the world is adults conditioning yes. the children to yes, uh, yes. to think in, in horrible ways, and I think you know like. I have these nephews now, and I love watching you talk about your. Was did your sister have her baby yet? Yeah, my niece. Oh, yeah. your your beautiful niece, and like I just mm-hmm. think like us being these adult gays who have these young children around us, and like the gift of these young people to have these yeah. these queer aunts and uncles that can just normalize so much of the world that was not normalized to us when we were kids. I don't know about you, but I find myself, I said to my nephew, Henry, a few weeks ago when I saw him, I was like, yeah, you know, Uncle Matt and I are married. And he was, and he's three years old. And, you know, he was just like really taking it in. And it was just a moment where I was clearly healing my own traumas through talking to a three-year-old. Sure. Of course. I I, I think there's a, it it is it is the, the advancement, and I don't know if you would agree, but the advancement in the idea of gay gay or queerness being adopted, you know, across the board, was so fast and so swift mm-hmm. that I think we still deal with some sort of whiplash from it, where it's like, holy shit! Like it must have been a moment for you to sit and see your nephew take that in, mm-hmm. 
and and like like right like that is that is that is still different you know and, and to see um, like the the neutrality of his face of just like accepting the news and yeah, not yeah. and obviously not having a single comment on it because he loves his uncle matt yeah he loves his uncle eric he's so My, he loves to yeah. play and it's like well cool these two guys love each other and i love them too so when can i have pancakes yeah, exa- yeah. My friend is a uh, also mentors a, a kid, but I guess think this his the kid that he mentors is like a teenager, maybe a little older, and he's queer. And my friend was like, um, you know, if you ever need to talk to somebody about it, you know, I'm always here. I'm always available to talk about it if you ever need to. And his um, his the kid he mentors said, why why, why would I need to do that? And he was like. Well, you know, like it, it you know, it, it, it obviously being gay means you could get bullied, you know, you could get pushback at school. And he was like, why, why would that, why would that happen? And he was like, be, well, I mean, because it, it makes you different. And he was like, no, I'm fine. I think I'm fine. Like it didn't even cross the kid's mind that that was a possibility. Wait, I think the the funniest part of that story is, first of all, the, 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 child is so lucky to have his mentor but the funny part i think in the sketch version of it is that the adult is now putting all these new problems into the kids they're like well oh, because of course. of course you know being gay means they're that, weird yeah and <laughs> statistically like pedophiles it's like wait right. <laughs> so are you saying that because i'm gay i'm bad and i'm gonna get aids and be a pedophile well no it's just i i think it it literally you can obviously see in this example of kids today that it's so much more normalized are not going to have that same internal struggle. And of course it's going, it's definitely difficult for so many, but there are, you also think about like, didn't you read that? Didn't you read that statistic? That was like some crazy percentage of kids these days uh, identifies being queer in some way or LGBTQ. It's like, yes, it's, I have a friend who's a teacher. He teaches um, like middle school students Mm -hmm. and he's like, you don't even understand like so many of the kids either don't have pronouns or they go back and forth but the weird catch is that they'd rather be seen as gender non-binary or maybe trans than gay which threw me for a loop wait 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 wait. let's let's unpack they would rather be seen as gender non-binary or trans and are you saying that coming out as gay is like less cool or more frown. What do you, what do you think it is about being gay that they would rather not be? I don't know. And he couldn't even tell me as the teacher, he was like, I don't know either. I just, all he knows is that for the most part, this, a lot of the students are much more apt to uh, uh, change or adapt their gender or their pronouns rather than their full-blown sexuality. You know, that's, I mean, it's it's clearly of different generations. And I sometimes forget that I am not a kid anymore. And I think like, wow, there's actually like new uh, standards and new uh, things that are cool. And like, I, like me... I, I love that the pronouns... <laughs> I now sound like I'm 58. Like... The pronoun business is, I like that it's very much like we are getting rid of the binary and it's like, yeah. and I am fully ready to embrace all the days in my life. And also funny because it's like, it was treated with such disdain mm-hmm. and, and such um, 
misogyny and homophobia. It was just, it was, it was, you know, it was the worst thing you could be basically. And now, even though trans people especially are so targeted um, continually and, and, and murdered, you know, it's, it's awful. That all being said, I think they've been, the community has been so, they have just put their feet on the gas and not let up in terms of like forcing people to understand, yes. not tolerate, because I, that term is ridiculous, but understand and appreciate mm-hmm. what they are and what what they feel and without apology. Yes. And I think that is the best way to do it. I think it's like, you know what? Fuck the, fuck the haters who are going to just you know, continually try to pass legislation you down, just ignore them and continue to just make the strides that you make be as remarkable or, or unremarkable as you want to be. And, and don't let like, even what's the woman who was on Jeopardy, who's trans, like how amazing is it? Yes. And she like, she is a great example of that, of just like, and the thing is, it's like we're talking about musical theater actors being monsters. Uh, She is the least performative that you could, because she is not making a point to make a point. She is being her, the strong, incredibly intelligent, witty, amazing person she is on a huge platform and just being that versus, you know, versus versus Che Diaz. Che fucking Diaz. (laughs) That Che Diaz has really brought up. I'm now confused if we are supposed to be embracing the camp or it's, sure. it's taking a full circle leap here that I'm not, I'm like, I'm getting whiplash on the Che Diaz of it all. I don't, that show baffles. I, it is, that is an uncanny valley show where they are dressed like they're, they're all dressed like they're at the circus. <laughs> I don't, they, they, there's not a Jew in the city. It All of it is baffling. Did you, okay. Speaking of show. Jews in the city, did you uh, watch the, the most recent one where Matt Wilkes unfortunately had to say the line about the Holocaust didn't exist, didn't happen? No, I, 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 I kind of watched like a little bit with like my one eye open. Yeah, 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 yeah. Thing, but well, I'll give you, you the know, elevator have, pitch. Yeah. They have Charlotte and Harry have a Shabbat dinner. And the point is that Mario Cantone's character brings a guy over. And I think the joke is supposed to be like, oh, hopefully this guy is great. And then he's not great. And they kick him out. But the joke yeah. that they give him, he goes, oh, are you having a Jewish dinner? And Harry Greenblatt goes, yeah. And he goes, and I'm going to butcher it. But he says something like, oh, yeah, well, you know, the Holocaust wasn't real. And then Mario Cantone goes, get out. And then he leaves. And that's literally <laughs> the end of the bit. And then they have the dinner. And it is. So that show is, and then it really came out. That dark. episode aired on Holocaust Remembrance Day. Um, so oh, it was just like a little of congruency that we weren't exactly <laughs> hoping for. Um, it is a baff. That show is baffling to me. It like everything about it feels like old and new at the same time. Yeah, it feels like it's written by an algorithm. <laughs> I, all of it is confusing. <laughs> Smarter Child. Do you remember on AAM there was a robot that you could talk to? I think her name was like Smarter Child. Smarter Child wrote uh, and just like that. Um, wait, I do. I ha- I have to bring up a video of yours that I think is so amazing. You have a video with Seth Rogen where you talk about what is Jewish versus Goyish, and yeah, two Jews choose. It's such a great video, and I and decided that I wanted to ask you a different round of the game called Homo versus Het, and I want to ask okay. you what is Homo, what is belongs to the gays, and what belongs to the breeders. Yeah. Um, so let's give you a few of these. Um, okay, let's start general New York versus LA. New York is, is, I mean, look, they're honestly like, what's beautiful about LA is that it is Jewish in its own way. Um, it's a little bit more of like an ethereal spiritual Jew and, and, and they're not, as, we don't, they don't eat as loud. Like they just don't eat as loudly, sure. but New York is just, I mean, and I, I'm biased cause that's where I'm from, but it's, it's just the most. 
the most Jewish. I love that. Okay, so what, let's do gay versus straight, oh, though. Oh, jeez. I was still in Jew head. Oh, my God. No, listen, I'm always in Jew head, but we, we're... In Jew brain. Oh, my God. <laughs> I was still, like, think, like I had bagels in my... <laughs> talking Clear the schnee. Yeah, this, yeah. So okay. what do you think is gay versus straight for New York and L.A.? Um, when I think of the gay populations in both cities, I think that um, L.A. just feels, like, more gay because of because WeHo is so aggressive mm-hmm. um, and it makes like Chelsea and uh, uh, the village, you know, it makes like the gayest neighborhoods in Brooklyn often look like libraries. Yes. Like quiet. <laughs> and I have to say, I have to let the listeners know that I saw one LA Glazer at a yes. WeHo gay bar recently and it was a joy. Oh, and yes. you- it's, it's, it was great to see you, but that is not my element. It was... You get I, You never would. I never would have known. I, you. You felt. You. You. Uh, you owned your space. It's too much. Like it's just too. Lo- it's too loud. There's too many people. Like I get. I'm on, very on the nose. But like, take me to a quieter. I'll go to the east side. I'll go to Akbar. Just take me to a place with like carpeting. Uh, sure, sure, sure. At least carpeting. carpeting. Well, I live on the east side, so we're gonna have an Akbar moment someday. I know this. Sounds good. Um. Now I'm gonna ask about uh, homo versus het, Lisa Vanderpump and Kyle Richards. <laughs> I don't watch the housewives, uh, but I know who both of them are. And Lisa Vanderpump just, I think she, she, Lisa Rinna has more gay camp appeal. Mm -hmm. Lisa Vanderpump, I think is like probably friends with more gay people authentically. But I think because of Lisa Rinna's camp value, uh, she's gay. She's, she's gayer. I like, I like, yeah, I like the Lisa, Lisa. What about, um, what about, Pfizer and Moderna. <laughs> um, Moderna ends with an A and Pfizer ends with a Zer. So I'm just going to go with Pfizer because that just sounds like a Jewish name. <laughs> I mean, it does. Glazer, Pfizer, you know, yeah, it's just like, like we're back to Jewish, not gain straight. Oh my God. What is happening with my brain? No, I'm actually kind of liking this. this, out. this is actually this my out. favorite kind of roller coaster is a gay Jewish roller coaster. So embarrassing. Not at okay. all. Let's do one. Um, okay. Here. Oh um, homo versus hat, the view and the voice. Oh my God. The view is, is the view is gay as fuck. And I watch it every day. And I feel like people, people like often think the view is people often say like oh you watch the view you must be gay you watch the golden girls you must be gay like they think there's a connection there and there is of course but i don't necessarily watch the show because of because it's like Mm -hmm. all women talking or whatever i watch the show because it is unbridled chaos every single day it is the most it is awkward it is like weirdly produced the beats are always off that to me is my favorite reason to watch but look it's still super gay it's five women gabbing they're all funny in their own way i stand sunny hostin oh yeah and the voice just seems like very straight to me i I agree with that um what about i think we should talk about very polarizing weed through a vape pen or a blunt um Weed through a vape pen or weed through a blunt. I honestly, I mean, this is like, I feel like I'm like, I feel like I'm doing like, a, um, I don't know, like rip torn material here, but like, <laughs> I don't feel like gay men want to, you know, have to roll and, you know, do all, do all the, the, the work that comes with, I mean, and maybe I'm speaking on behalf of myself. I don't want to, I don't want to rip roll and I don't want to do all that stuff. You're right. Just give me a, 
the straits like to cut the wood they like to gather and forage and we like yes. to just reap the benefits and press a cute little button that lights up that's right this i don't need to like scour the earth to like smoke you know just give me a pen let somebody else put it together and then i'll smoke absolutely that's that's my jam okay final one we're gonna do to honor your roots bruce springsteen versus billy joel billy joel um is uh not gay at all um there's just there it's just not there it it just isn't and i and i love billy joel I, i you know i'm from long island it's just it's like in my blood but bruce springsteen i feel like could flirts more with the gay vibe in the sense that he knows he's cute. He knew to put his butt on the cover of a, of a album and it's a great, but thank God he did. And I just feel like he's also like, I'm sure Billy is like socially liberal. And I, I would be positive to say that, but Bruce without a doubt, just wears his heart on his sleeve when it comes to social issues and being a Democrat. So for me, Bruce is very gay and Billy is <laughs> for the straights. For the straights, but an ally. But Bruce is our gay yes. icon. Where's the pride float, Bruce? Where's the pride float? Um, well, listen, I want to say that we, speaking of the view and these iconic women, I, I always want to know if the world was ending and you could only save one character actress, who would it be? Well, this is a great question to ask. And I'm glad you gave me the heads up because I thought about it. And I decided that my answer had to be Lainey Kazan. Oh, no one's given a Lainey <laughs> Kazan. You know what? We actually talk about Lainey in this house a lot because if I'm not mistaken, she actually... You shoplifted or something, right? <laughs> That's not the story I was going to bring up, but... The... Oh, oh. She actually would go to the restaurant that Matt worked at for years. And I think we love Lainey Kazan. Um, was it Jones? Not Jones. No, it's Gotham and uh, Gotham on 12th Street in New York City, like a very. Oh wow! But she would go there. Yeah, I, wow. and, I, and I'm going to be devastated if I'm, if I'm wrong. Here. But she, what, what was about her? What, what made you fall in love with her? Well, the fact that she's like a big, busty lady yes. just kind of she reminds me of my grandma, um, whom I, you know, who I worshipped. But also, what would you call she, your grandma? What was, what was her name? Oh, just grandma. I love it. Just no, we didn't have like anything Classic. special, but um, she reminded me of my grandma. And also I love that she uh, is ethnically ambiguous enough to play Greek, Jewish, Italian. like she'll play anything, which I absolutely die for. She and my big fat Greek wedding, I think there was, yeah. and it's probably why so many Jews like the movie and anyone, because she is such a beloved matriarch that you can yeah. see your grandma and you can see so many lines of hers in that movie that oh my god she is such a brilliant comedic actor she is there's like a otherworldliness to her and i have to say i've done a lot of these episodes of this podcast no one has ever said to her and i think it's one of the most inspired answers because it oh good it's so smart and she is a, a character actress that the world needs well, I've seen her. I've seen her in real life, and she just takes up the room. You know, like she's got that vibe. But also, um, I'm pretty sure she was arrested for shoplifting, which I love. And I think she. Oh, oh, and her her Instagram is chaotic. So those things all make her in like absolutely irresistible. Oh, I don't to me. follow her Instagram. I have to get on that. When you find like an older actress who doesn't necessarily need to be on Instagram like her or like Renee Taylor or like Tova Felcha. Tova Felcha's on Instagram. It's 
chaos. I love it's absolute chaos, and I live for Didn't it. Didn't you retweet once that uh, Caitlyn Jenner had uh, tweeted about like like something about her platform for in politics, and then she herself retweeted her own tweet saying, "Wow, it's good that Caitlyn is saying these things." And you said like basically yeah. Caitlyn forgot that she was on her actual account and had created a burner account. She forgot. She thought she was on a burner account. What that what that woman does with her time is truly mind boggling. It's like, you know, you don't there is you don't have to do anything. But the cho- the, the choice that the 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 fact that you choose to be a troll against the trans it it's mind boggling. Yeah, yeah. You don't need a scent. You know, she's looking at a buffet to, you know, of options, and if you have like a gorgeous buffet of amazing foods, like homemade biscuits, you've got scalloped potatoes, you've got mac and cheese. She went over to the nasty water that's underneath the trays, and she's yes. scooping that into a cup and sipping it, and going, "I'm gonna make more of this," and just pour it's- acid on a community that does not need to be piled on. She. It's such a shame what she could have done and what she actually did. She could have. I mean, truly, the the the, the possibilities could have, are, are enormous. Can you for, imagine? For yeah, imagine if she was like actually cool. I mean, like if she was actually and with cool. the relation she has to like some of the most like the biggest powerhouses in social yeah. media and what all that that stuff like, like the the opportunities were endless. Like, what if like a fashion line for trans women or like what if like anything that was. Oh my God. A positive, even like a PR vehicle for like doing good things for doing good, doing the, doing the, the least amount of a, at least one good thing. And she just torpedoed right through it. <laughs> like, like, uh, and just is just as a force of, of villainy. It, well, it makes no sense. It genuinely makes no sense. Torpedoed through figuratively and apparently in a car yeah. too. Right. Yeah, I'm a PCH, yeah. Rest in peace. Rest in peace, indeed. Well, I have to say that there's so many things that I love about your comedy, about your writing, about your presence, and I want to say that you also have an amazing dog named Moses that I find (laughs) as a Jew and as someone who's one of my best friends, her son is named Moses. I think it was an incredible name. What, what, What made you name this dog Moses? Um, well, they found him um, in Palm Springs with uh, his hip out of his socket. I guess he'd been hit by a car. Um, and so they he was brought back to L.A. by this uh, uh, rescue group called the Deity Project. Um, and so I named him Moses because he was found wandering the desert. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, I literally did not put I was the last person to know where that story was going. Oh, no. even though I should have. Please. That is so brilliant. Oh, thanks. 40 days and 40 nights. Oh, wow. Moses, we love you so much. I actually just went to Palm Springs for the first time in my life. And I oh. can imagine that a Palm Springs daddy was driving too fast and not knowing where he was um, going. Yes. And Moses looks like he com- comes from wealth. Which we love. We love a yeah. haute couture pop. Well, since we're ending this episode, I have to ask a question that you are not prepared to answer, which oh. is, even though we kind of touched on it, Elliot Glazer, what is the best Whoopi Goldberg film? Oh, um, the best Whoopi Goldberg film is <laughs> uh, Theodore Rex. <gasps> Wait a minute. <laughs> her in space with like a, a di- she's like a cop with a dinosaur in space who's also a cop or something. She was forced to make the movie and she looks miserable doing it. And it's 
incredible to watch. So I'm looking at I when you said it, I haven't seen this movie, but I have seen the branding and like the the VHS cover for it. And I'm literally looking up on my screen right now the stark yellow background. There is a you know six foot tall dinosaur wearing tennis shoes with like oh a, like a blue and red hoodie on and then he has his claw up and then Whoopi is to his right with her hand up in the same position just like yeah. why am I doing this movie wait why did she have to do it I think she was it was like in her contract to the maybe some sort of like overall sure. deal or a studio contract that she had to do it and it took forever and it looks she was apparently miserable which I guess who wouldn't be Whoopi Goldberg in Theodore Rex is camp. That is the best Whoopi film of all time. That is gay as hell. Oh my God. Elliot, you are the gift that keeps on giving. Thank you so much for doing this podcast. You are a genius. And I'm so glad I got to have you on. Friend of the Pod Productions. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style. 